Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Ephesians 3, 8-12 To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. I have to admit I'm about to begin a new class with Plowshares Bible Institute and the class is on Ephesians and so you might hear a few sermons on Ephesians in the next several weeks. But in this passage focusing particularly on verses 9 to 10 the question arises as to what is that which was once hidden. You know, he says hidden in some translations, hidden since the foundation of the world, but which has now been revealed. You know, what is this? I don't, I don't think it's some esoteric secret, but note that Paul says it pertains to the administration of God, it pertains to the wisdom of God, to the rulers and authorities, in the heavenly places and to God's eternal purposes. And so Paul depicts the opening of this secret or the passage from once hidden to revealed as marking a kind of new historical consciousness. That is, as to the purposes of creation. Now we can understand. And it is a mystery concerning the relationship between creation and creator. You know, it pertains to things in heaven and things on earth. And even to God's predetermined purposes. Ephesians has a lot of discussion of God's determination of all things. And in Romans we have a parallel passage in 9-11 in which Paul talks about the broad sweep of history as the unfolding of the mystery. And he will refer also to the dividing wall, you know, between Jews and Gentiles. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that it pertains to a fulfilled or cosmic order that was previously hidden. Something has been revealed in the gospel of Christ. And this reference to the breaking of a literal wall, I mean, that's the wall in the temple that separates the holy place from the holy of holies or the place, you know, actually the wall uh, the temple is just a series of walls and the picture is that we now all have access to God the Father through Christ Jesus but it literally referred to the division between 
Jews and Gentiles, but symbolic also of the division between heaven and earth, that in some way we previously did not have access. It was a mystery. And it was the deployment of a new understanding, a new reading, a new hermeneutic. That apart from that, apart from Christ, the mystery remained. And this includes, you know, this once hidden, now revealed. This includes the full scope of history. Paul will talk about here the age of the cosmos up in verse 1 to 2. And he talks about the, the time in which people were dead in their trespasses and sins. So is it that the former age constituted, you know, he also talks about the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience up in uh, verse 2 in chapter 2. Is the mystery simply a result of sin's deceit or darkness? That is, is it all oh, that people were sinful and ignorant? We might say that in part, but I don't think that's the answer. You know, if the mystery is equated simply with the darkness of sin, then the mystery revealed will be simply the overcoming of sin. And that's for many people the way they're reading this. They say, oh, and we were sinful and ignorant, and now we're no longer that. I think that's only part of it. Paul connects the mystery to two epics of history, inclusive of creation. What is the purpose of creation? What is its fulfillment? And the mystery revealed, it tells us now, that this is disclosed for us. We now understand the telos, the end, God's purposes in creation. There's a famous church father, Origen, who many would say was one of the first theologians of the church. And he thinks that Ephesians is the key. That is, that Ephesians is the center of Paul's thought. They say he wrote some 6,000 books. We really don't have access to all of the books that he wrote. But a lot of his writing and energy was in describing this mystery and what is uncovered through the wisdom of God. And that's the way he's put it here. You know, Paul talks about the wisdom of God revealed in Christ. And so this wisdom he identifies, and I think we can identify, with Christ. The wisdom of God is Christ. And this is really the, the heart of the book of Ephesians, which is the heart of Paul's understanding, which is kind of the heart of the theological heart of, of Scripture. And so we can read Paul or we can read this understanding as a, a way of looking at the cosmological mystery of everything, of how time and space and eternity all unfold. And there's a lot of that in the book of Ephesians. There's a kind of time-bending quality to the book. And it's not Greek, and really it's not just Hebrew, but it pertains particularly to, as Paul says, the summing up of all things in the incarnation of Christ Jesus. Here in the incarnation of Christ, we have the mystery revealed. And so the origin pictures the wisdom of God. And Paul, you know, talks about the manifold wisdom, that there's different principles upholding the arche of creation. The wisdom of God administered through Christ, 
captures the intersection between creator and creation, between eternity and time. And we can talk about this wisdom in two ways, and I'm going to read some Proverbs that actually do this, that talk about the wisdom as beginningless, timeless. And it's clearly a reference to the sun, but it's also interwoven with the creative act of the sun. We have the Proverb 8, 22 to 25, talking about wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. So it's talking about a personified wisdom that in the New Testament is going to be attached to Christ. And I think that's what's happening in this verse. This is origin. He says the Son of God is also called wisdom, made as a beginning of his ways to his works according to the Proverbs, which means that wisdom existed only in relation to him of whom she was wisdom having no relation to anyone else at all. But the Son of God himself became God's benevolent decision and willed to bring creatures into being. You know, think of this passage, but think of many passages like John 1.1 that talk about in the beginning was the Word, and in and through the Word God created all things. Who is the Word? Well, that's Christ. This wisdom then willed to establish a creative relation to future creations. And this is exactly the meaning of the saying that she has been made the beginning of God's ways. So wisdom, through the Son, creates and is itself made part of creation. That is, the very arche, the very structure of creation is found in the Son. So Paul says this in Colossians. He says in Colossians 1.17, In him, in Christ, all things hold together. And he also says in 1.15, He is the firstborn of all creation. So in Christ there is both a created, you know, he's born of Mary, he's a man. But there is the uncreated, and they're brought together. As Origen puts it, he is the oldest of all created beings, and it was to him that God said of the creation of man, let us make man in our image and likeness. Wisdom is regarded as created in the body of Christ, such that the passage from uncreated, Christ is also divine, he's with God, but he's also then, there's the passage to the created, and these things are brought together in Christ. You know, and I don't know if I agree with Origen here, but it's an interesting reading. When he goes back to Genesis, he says, Genesis chapter 1, he created them male and female. And then you go to the next one, and it talks about, and he created them man and woman, and then, you know, he creates... Adam from the dust. He's saying that in the first instance, 
it's referring to not the specific creation, but to the arche or the logoi or the principle or the wisdom. And it's through this, through the next chapter, you know, that there is the unfolding of creation. Now, Paul does say here, the manifold wisdom is known through creation and Christ. The wisdom of God is manifest in creation. I believe we see Christ, obviously, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, but what we also see is he holds all things together, that through him all things were made, that he is then the arche of all things. And so wisdom, as given through the Son, Paul explains, this is what he says in these verses, is the meaning of bestowing the divine mysteries. And what was once hidden is manifest. And he's saying this in the context he references that God created all things through him. So there's a creaturely and a created aspect which is from the uncreated, timeless, divine wisdom, but which is made known in and through creation. Now this is maybe some of the most difficult parts of the New Testament, but we're ready for the meat here, right? We're all up to eating some meat. And I think this is the fundamental teaching of the New Testament, that the incarnate Christ is the goal, the structuring order, the inner ground of creation. For through him, from him, and through him, and to him are all things. We know this due to the incarnate Christ, who, as Paul says in 1.10, he is the summing up of all things, things in heaven and things on earth. This is what and who has been predestined. I'm afraid we miss the understanding of predestination. We think, oh, God chooses, you know. And no, it's in Christ that all things have been predestined. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. And the point is that Jesus Christ is not a contingent reflection. You know, man fell and then God said, oh, I'll send Jesus. No, this was the predestined plan before the foundation of the world. It does not depend upon creation and fall, but creation is an outworking of the love of God found in Christ. It pertains, as Paul describes it, to who God is in himself, you know, what we call the divine eminence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. And so what I'm saying is salvation is not simply deliverance from sin. It's certainly that. But it's fulfillment of who God is in Christ for creation. Where Jesus is reduced to simply helping us get rid of sin, what gets lost are the purposes for all of creation fulfilled in Christ. But also the purposes of the church as a continuation of the work of Christ. A really a continuation of the incarnation. And certainly salvation is the overcoming of sin. But the fullness of redemption is the completion of creation's purpose. And so Paul has moved our understanding of God's plan beyond the earth, beyond the human race, to the cosmic impact 
as part of the outworking of his love, the very essence of God. So the whole point of who God is and what God was doing is summed up in Christ. We have access to the Father. The completion of creation in Christ accounts for all the movements of history. There is an incompleteness of creation. Maybe we could say this. There is an incompleteness in the first Adam, right? God's not finished with us yet. And it points to the unfolding nature of creation's purpose in history. And so the completion of the first Adam through the second Adam, the completion of creation through recreation of Christ, it's an open-ended process. God is recreating us. And the whole inner basis of humankind, it's an ongoing realization. And so in his commentary on Ephesians, which by the way we don't have, but we've kind of recovered parts of it that Origen writes on Ephesians, he references Ephesians 1.4. If you look up there, Paul talks about the foundation that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul, therefore, this is origin, wishing to show that God devised all things from nothing, ascribes it not to it not making, not creating and formation, but catabola, or foundation. That is the beginning of the foundation, so that something from which creatures were made did not precede creatures. In accordance, you know, this would be the Manichaeans, this would be the, her the heretics. They would teach, oh, that God and creation are one thing. And Origins is very careful to say, no, creator and creation are different. There is the uncreated wisdom, but then the manifold wisdom, or the logoi is the word. And Origin maintains there's a clear separation between these two. So there is 1 Corinthians 1.24, the wisdom of God, which is Christ, contains the arche, the principles. The logos, though, Christ, is not the creator, but the means of creation. And so Origen is explaining, actually he's talking a lot about John 1.1. 1, 1. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so as Origen writes, as in the epistle to the Hebrews, the same Paul says, at the end of days he has spoken to us in a son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, teaching us that God has made the worlds through the son, since the only begotten had the through whom when the worlds were made. So here too, therefore, if all things were made through the word, they were not made by the word, but by one greater than the word. And who would this be other than the Father? And so God the Father made the world through the Son, who is himself begotten of the Father. And so first, there is the reality of God in himself. And then Paul expresses in Ephesians 3, there is the multitude, or the manifold, or multiple. Origen actually refers to this word, the decorated, or multi-embroidered wisdom of God, through which creation came about out of non-being. 
the theological dictionary says the wisdom of God Sophia has shown itself in Christ to be varied beyond measure and in a way which surpasses all previous knowledge thereof this then explains the preparation of the beginning from which creation occurs this is origin and in relation to this we will be able to understand what is meant by the beginning of creation he was in the beginning he was the beginning and that wisdom says in Proverbs for God she says created me the beginning of his ways for his works it is possible of course for this also to be referred to our first meaning that pertaining to a way because it said God created me the beginning of his ways the archetype of all things is Christ he is the true image bearer of humans but he's also the type or the arche of creation and so we pass from God the incorporeal God to the created material order now let me illustrate this with two passages Paul says I live in Galatians 2.20 yet not I but Christ and here in Ephesians in Ephesians 5.31 he says of the husband and wife that they become one flesh and then he says this is a great mystery you know he's talking about the mystery but he says I'm talking about Christ in the church the embodied corporeal person takes up the fullness of the image of Christ as Christ imparts who he is his incorporeal life the spirit of God is another way of saying it and so in Ephesians 5 the once hidden significance you know marital oneness is the illustration of Christ and the church and this is disclosed then in Christ the relationship between Christ and the church as inclusive of all humanity and so what is revealed in this union certainly it's the cosmic breadth of a marriage like unity brought about in Christ so we have the unity of Christ and the church the unity of Jews and Gentiles the unity realized Paul says in the inward man the unity of husband and wife is a reconciliation in Christ sealed by the spirit being in Christ means participation in God's cosmic unification God's cosmic reconciliation and so the gospel is nothing less than an opening up of the will of God and so the last question then I'll close Paul says that all of this pertains to the principalities and powers and elsewhere Paul talks about in Ephesians the prince of the power of the air or the spirit that is at work in the disobedient so how is this how is this a witness to these powers origin speculates about a singular counter power which would stand behind the world's rulers the principalities the powers he speaks of one who fell from bliss while there were many rulers who were made it was one who fell and so there is a failure or fall before the fall of man the fall of the devil which is a mystery we really don't know much about that but it seems to precede the fall of man something and it then pervades 
all of creation. You know, this is, seems to be reflected in the story of Genesis 3. That there's a divide in creation, even at, at its inception. And Paul says something similar in Romans 8, 22. He says that creation groans and travails until now. That it's been subjected to futility. And that Christ then delivers us from this futility. Because our Lord, this is origin, on account of his love for man, took up death on behalf of us all. And he took our darkness upon himself, that by his power he might destroy our death. That he's completely destroyed death and the darkness that death contains in our soul. And so there's a deliverance from the travail. There is freedom, or maybe we should say the travail delivers us. That through the travail of creation, Paul pictures a birth. And this kind of gets at this strange relationship between time and eternity in Ephesians. That Christ is the summing up of all things. In 120, he says, Christians are right now, present tense, seated with Christ at the right hand of God. That his body fills all in all. He is the cosmic ruler. And the church, he says in 532, is made one flesh with Christ. And in 612, that through this, defeating the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then Paul says in 118, he uses strange language here, but he talks about that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. And so there's a division that is overcome. And the peculiar intersection of time with eternity brings about a new uniform kind of knowing. And this is the way Paul finishes in verse 11. This is not a discursive knowing. You know, you go to school and learn or a knowing through ordinary progression. But he says this is knowing by revelation. Verse 4 to 5. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known. It has now been revealed. This is revelation. This has come through the apostles and prophets. It's come through his spirit. Quite simply, what is the mystery revealed? It's the gospel. The gospel of Christ is the wisdom of God revealed. The wisdom tells us the telos, the end of creation. It informs us of the tie between creator and creation. And because of Christ, the wisdom of God, Paul says we have boldness. We have confident access to God through faith in Christ. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.